Welcome to Season 2 of Voices from the Land, a special podcast series produced by the Legacy Hope Foundation. In this podcast series, we'll hear about Indigenous language revitalization projects and efforts to preserve and promote Indigenous languages across Turtle Island. Join us as we learn more about how Indigenous languages are helping Indigenous peoples connect, know, and remember the voices from the land. Hello and welcome to this podcast on Indigenous languages. Voices from the Land is an Indigenous Languages podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Its goal is to capture more perspectives and voices on Indigenous language revitalization. We are seeking to capture a range of perspectives to better reflect the many people engaged in Indigenous language revitalization. Our aim is that by listening to teachers, adult learners, and parents or guardians of children in language classes, or whose children have taken language classes, we can gain more insight into what are the challenges and barriers, as well as the solutions and positives that are out there. In turn, we hope this will form a larger discussion on how to support Indigenous language revitalization. In this episode, our guest is Victoria Bomberry. She's a parent of a child in a language immersion program at the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory in Ontario. Hello and welcome. Glad you could join us today, Victoria. How are you? Michael Gordon, I'm doing all right. It's a wintry but sunny day here in southwestern Ontario where I'm located. Can you start by telling us a bit about your background, like your Indigenous affiliation, a bit about your family and community? Of course. <laughs> Uh, Six Nations, Nidawagena, Ganaganta, and Ogohoene, Tkidro. So I'm a Mohawk bear from Six Nations of the Grand River. I grew up here on Six and I, I live here on Six as well. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in my community and to have a small community of fellow language learners as well that I, I are thankfully friends. I am a mother to an 11, now 12 year old son. Sorry about that. His birthday was recently. Uh, he's 12, keeps me on my toes, and so I was fortunate to be a part of an immersion program before he was born, so just over 15 years now, and so I became an intermediate second language speaker before he was born, and that really helped me in having Ganyageha Mohawk as his first language. You are a parent or a guardian of a child in an Indigenous language program, as you just said. Can you describe the program and how it functions its location, a number of students, and so on? Yeah, I think I'll speak about my experience as an adult language learner. I do have a 12-year-old son. So as I mentioned, I, I grew up in a home where English was the first language. My mother doesn't speak the language. My grandmother doesn't speak the language. But that my grandfather did speak to Yuga Gayokono. And then the generation before them, my great-grandmother and great-grandparents spoke not only their Ganyogeha or Gayokona, Mohawk or language, but they also spoke several of the family of languages, Haudenosaunee, so they would typically speak Mohawk and Kyuga, Mohawk and Oneida, so they were fluent in many languages, but many of the policies and just the environment encouraged them to not teach their children, which in turn didn't teach my mom, and so my mom didn't have the language to teach me either. In my mid-20s, I had heard about the Mohawk Immersion, Adult Immersion Program happening here on Six Nations, 
And it had been in operation for a couple of years. And so I was about maybe the third or fourth group of students to go through the program. And so the way that Ungawana Gunjokwa, the Mohawk Adult Immersion Program operated was it was a full day, almost almost like a regular elementary school day. We would go to the program at nine in the morning, be together for the entire day and uh, our day would complete at about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. And our, our schedule was, that was our schedule from September of the year all the way into May of the year. And so we were immersed in the language for six or seven hours a day for five days a week for eight, eight months almost. And so we were quite fortunate in that program. And at the time that I took it, we received funding to be recognizing, you know, we're, we're students and we're, we're putting aside our work to be in the program full time. And so our community through different organizations provided a, a small stipend for us to focus and be there physically and mentally for that, for that time. Are there opportunities for your child to speak and practice his or her language outside the classroom setting? And if so how is this working out? So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll share on both of our experiences. So for me, I did the language immersion for a year and a half. The program, I'm not sure how long it is now, but at the time when I was taking it, it was a two-year program where you could become a beginner speaker and then it would advance to more intermediate language speakers. I became quite a proficient and I also had the opportunity to to live for a very brief time with a fluent language speaker and that again advanced my language speaking skills. So the, by the time my son was born, I was fairly fluent and so Ganyangeha Mohawk was his first language. And so we were super lucky at the time, the program's not running anymore, but when my son was born for his first two years, there was a Mohawk language nest uh, on Six Nations. And so that was a number of families with beginner and intermediate language speaking parents and their young children coming together every day, similar to Ongawana Gunjokwa for the entire day um, from nine in the morning until about three or four in the afternoon, engaging, led and mentored by fluent speakers where Ganyageha Mohawk was their first language. And so we're being mentored throughout the entire day, engaging in everyday family activities from cooking, playing with our kids, playing different games, and also engaging in different cultural activities. You know, for right, if this program was running right now, we'd be out in the bush learning how to tap trees and preparing to trap, tap trees and all of the different cultural activities um, for our community. And we're doing this in the language. And so it was an incredibly beneficial program. We moved and didn't get the opportunity to continue that program. So my son was about two years old. When we were on our own, Mohawk was still his first language. And so that's where the challenge came in, where I was working and going to school at the time. And so I needed child care. We weren't in our community. We moved off reserve for this period of time. And so the big challenge was that his child care providers obviously were, were not fluent in the language. And so his first language at home is Ganyageha, but now he's in child care where English is the first language. And so at that point in time, that was a, a really big challenge. He was beginning to see, you know, um, there's this other important language that my mom also speaks, but, you know, everybody else in my world only speaks English. So this language is highly valuable, whereas only at home my mom speaks and only back in our community, only a few of our family and friends speak. And so I think he was beginning to recognize, 
you know, the importance in the general broader society is on English and that that value system was being ingrained in him when we were living off reserve. We um, continued that, and he still is a pretty good speaker, but I would think, I think that's the biggest challenge as a parent of a language learner, a young language learner, that we don't have all the resources and we don't have a broad community of support for them to see how valuable and how beautiful our language is. So he's not in the immersion program, but we're back home on Six Nations. And so the challenge now is that he's in, not in the immersion school. We do have two immersion schools on Six. But he's in a Six Nations run school, but English is the main language. And they have Cayuga language lessons, which he's doing quite well in. But um, still, it's not the immersive level of language learning that is necessary for, for young kids to really grasp and use language naturally and fluently. I know you're kind of switching back and forth in terms of uh, as a child, as a parent of a child, and you as an adult learner. And I was going to ask you about uh, some of the obstacles and barriers uh, for your child to take in language immersion, but I think you asked, answered that question already. Are there any other barriers or obstacles that uh, your child in taking a language immersion, other than the fact that you know he was in immersion, now he was having challenges of being in an English-speaking environment? What about uh, any other obstacles or barriers that he could be facing? I think you, told, you mentioned something about childcare, and uh, is there anything about the program or uh, or the school that there could be some barriers, maybe in the community that you're facing as a family and or or as a parent? Yeah, I think um, we're fortunate in that I that I'm a fairly proficient language speaker, and so my son still gets the language at home quite a bit, and so I'm still continuing to push him to use the language more every day. But the challenge comes in that in our communities, unfortunately, we don't have many first language speakers left. Uh, We are fortunate that we do have different language programs happening, and so we have those resources, but frequently those resources are limited to specific spaces. And so you're learning the language and you're hearing it maybe in a classroom, and in a specific in the school system, but you're not hearing a lot of it out in the community. I think the barrier here on Six Nations, there's, there's, we're fortunate in that there's a lot of language learners. We're seeing revitalization definitely across the board, all of our six languages, but in our communities, we're still not seeing it used, represented, and, and valued in a way. You know, we need more community programs where we're just going out and using the language not in a formal setting, but in an informal setting and having those supports um, throughout the community, not just within the school. Right, yeah. I like what you say about in an informal setting because uh, that's where it really, uh, you really start to understand the culture more and, and the way people think in, in the traditional sense. When you're with your friends or, uh, you know, out in a, on a schoolyard and you're, you're talking in your first language and, you know, it, it makes a big difference when you when you are speaking it regularly in a formal setting. What would you say are some positives in your child taking an Indigenous language immersion course? I think the best start for us with my son learning the language was the the um, Mohawk language nest that unfortunately isn't operating anymore. But that you know. As a second language learner myself, I learned one set of vocabulary in that immersion program that was great and got me started and I could articulate my thoughts that I could think in the language. But when we moved into the language 
nest program and you're, you're doing everyday activities, you realize how much of your vocabulary is still missing and the language nest was critical in being able to speak to my son and teach him the language in a more natural way. You know, you're learning those those turns of phrases, you know, get out of there or come over here and well, just little little turns of phrases that you aren't necessarily going to learn in the formal classroom, but when you're doing informal activities, but still structured, you know, and you still have that first language mentor to speak naturally and kind of refine your refine your vocabulary, refine the way that you use words was incredibly helpful. I think that was the most important experience as a parent to have in terms of being a speaker, but also being a parent speaker and having that language, that natural language in speaking to my child. I was going to ask you, and I forgot to ask you this, it's not really part of the uh, questions that I built into this uh, podcast interview, but I wanted to, uh, you're a professional speaker in your indigenous language and uh, quite fortunate and like uh, many people are who speak their indigenous language and can talk to their uh, to their children in the language at home. Is there a particular method that your child has learned through uh, that seems to work really well in terms of them learning the language? Is there a particular method that the school uses that works? And if so, can you talk a little bit about it? I don't know if I can respond to how, about the methods used in school because my son was fairly fluent in language before he even went into that immersion setting. So he... He was already speaking at a at a rate at and above the other students and was capable of conversing and thinking in the language before he even got into that setting. So I don't think that he would be a good example as to what parents might need if their their children don't speak yet and they're sending their, their children to an immersion program to learn the language. As a parent, I think one of the most important methods, I don't even know if it's a method, but the benefits for us and my son learning was seeing how much our family valued him as a language learner, um, as, you know, being a young child who could speak and think in the language and how much our family and friends expressed that to him. So he knew how valuable it was within our family. And, um, you know, I would typically, whenever family was visiting us, I would continue to only speak to him in Ganyogeha. And then just naturally, you know, our guests who weren't speakers and maybe couldn't piece together what we were saying, he would translate for them. And I wouldn't ask him to do that. And he's my, our family friends wouldn't ask him to translate, but he just saw, you know, this is knowledge that I know, and I'm going to help my family and friends. And I think that in itself was incredibly valuable for him. So he was hearing the language over here, recognizing that our family friend didn't understand. And so he would translate the language for them. And that kind of reinforced both the Ganyogeha and the English. And it, it was such a beautiful experience to see and that natural progression of his language learning. And it was always helpful as a parent trying to teach him the language to see how accurate, which he frequently was, right on the money in terms of translating. I didn't, I rarely, if ever, had to correct him and say, that's not what I meant. What I meant was, but seeing that, in his first two years and, you know, when we moved off reserve and we're on our own, how, how deep the language he had taken in in those first two years in that fully immersion setting. So when we were in a less immersive setting and speaking with English speakers, how proficient he became. 
you mentioned that the language that you're, your indigenous language, you know, there's, there's six indigenous language in the uh, Six Nations Confederacy, is that right? And which one of those six is yours? Uh, you mentioned it, but I didn't quite catch it. Is it Cayuga <laughs> something? So uh, our family is both Cayuga and Mohawk, but I speak Mohawk. Um, I'm learning Cayuga now, actually, in a very part-time way, but um, my my second language is Kanyagaha Mohawk. Okay. Kanyagaha. Okay. Uh, that's what I heard. And I was wondering, that's not really... Don't recall that being part of the six languages. So that's Mohawk in Mohawk, right? Okay. I'm just curious as to, uh, are more people uh, learning to speak uh, their indigenous languages within the six nations? Uh, you find that more and more people are picking it up and, and trying to learn it? So we're fortunate on six nations um, in that there is absolutely a resurgence of everyone learning the language but especially our youth and that's incredibly beautiful to see how much they value it and how much effort and time and focus and energy they're putting into learning the language and using the language and we see like our youth building memes in the language which is hilarious and seeing them use the language in these new formats and settings and really truly revitalizing it to a living language so Six Nations, for those not familiar with the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Six Nations of the Grand River is home to literally six nations, all the nations of our Confederacy, Mohawk, Cayuga, Seneca, Oneida, Onondaga, and Tuscarora. But each of those nations has their own reserves as well, at least one other on their own. For us Mohawks, we're super lucky. There's several other reserves, Mohawk reserves, specifically just for Mohawks. And those were Mohawk reserves still have fluent speakers. And so for myself, I was fortunate to to live very briefly in Akwesasne with a first language speaker. And that again, refined my language speaking. But we have communities like Ganawagan, Kaindanega, Ganasadage that have first language Mohawk speakers that are mentoring and teaching uh, our languages in these other reserves as well. And so we have a, a broad community of speakers, both first and second language learners and each of those communities are building resources that help us all. You know, Ganawage has Dudadana Okwali, which is a, a puppet show in Ganyageha in Mohawk that are, is for kids. And so they're seeing puppets speaking the language just like they would see on Sesame Street. And it's, but it's not only in the language, they're engaging in cultural activities. And so they're teaching our kids so much. And that's so, such a valuable resource. And so we're, we're very fortunate in that, in that respect to have not only our own community, but other Mohawk communities speaking the language and sharing their knowledge and resources with all of us. Yeah, that's quite uh, the puppet size. I find it. Uh, I would like to see that because I did see uh, I did see a show once, and uh, it was on uh, the Inuit language, which is Inuktitut, and they have a TV station called Inuit Broadcasting Corporation, and, and they have shows on with children and. Uh, and me and my wife were watching it, and she's Inuit. So uh, this came on, and uh, these puppets were talking in Inuktitut, and uh, she started laughing. She thought it was quite amazing, and I, I, I to hear them. You know, it was pretty neat to hear these little puppets talking in Inuktitut, a native language. So that's a tool that that's, I think that would be effective. What would be like some other tools that you use or that you can think of that? Uh, that would be effective and helpful in 
kids learning the language. Uh, would you do you, do you use any like uh, technology or computers or any uh, language apps uh, that are effective in in kids learning the language? We are fortunate. We have two Ganyageha apps that we use that are fine for like specific vocabulary learning. For us and our family, I think the best tool for us to continue learning is simply playing. And so, again, I think I'm just fortunate that I got to experience the language nest and learn those playful words in the language to use in a more casual and fun setting. And um, I think that's what we need more of. You're right. You know, seeing puppets on the television is something kids immediately identify with and they're more you know, I'm not formally learning, but they're they're learning so much in that very casual and fun setting. I think we need more of those resources on our TVs, on our devices, you know, and we need to build that up. So we have the puppet show for like little guys, five or six, but now my guy's 12 years old. And so he's not as interested in that level of TV. So I think we need to keep building those resources and build them for the next stage of kids. You know, they're playing video games. And so we're lucky, um, Gunawage is incredible. They're, they have many language speakers. And so they built, um, I think it's Assassin's Creed, which is a very modern game that kids play, but they had the creators of the game translated parts of it into Ganyageha. And so our kids are playing these video games and hearing our language and realizing, you know, uh, language isn't just for the classroom. It's not just for when I'm speaking to mom or grandma, but it's something that is that I can speak when I'm playing video games, I can use it with my friends. And so continuing to build these resources to encourage them to use the language um, in all their activities is important. You know, if, if I'm dreaming, I would say our communities need to hire language mentors that are a part of our schools, that are a part of our after-school activities to just be there playing along with the kids and throwing out different words and phrases to them so they're hearing the language consistently in a very fun, not, um, you're being graded on this language lesson, just a very casual, here's how we would say, pass the ball in Ganyageha when you're playing basketball. So, you know, I think we need to recognize that our kids need more language mentors in everything that they're doing. I think you uh, answered my, my last question here. And uh, if there's anything else you'd like to add, I'll ask the question anyway. What would you like to see happen to improve children's Indigenous language learning success? So I definitely would love to see language mentors that are, are part of kids' activities, you know, and can just be there fluently using the language to show kids how to use the language outside of the classroom. I think for our community, I would love to see the languageness um, brought back. I'm not sure why we lost it, but that was, in my experience, incredibly helpful and foundational in my son having Ganyageha Mohawk as his first language. And so we at Six Nations could use sixth languageness for all of our language to ensure that our community has access, our families have access to those languages, um, all the languages of our communities. And I think we need to invest in resource building. Um, those few resources that I mentioned have been incredibly helpful, but we still need more. You know, we need TV shows at the the youth level. They're watching cartoons. If we could translate more of those shows into Ganyageha or our languages, uh, it would help our kids see that, you know, we learn language in the school, but we also we use it everywhere we go, not just at school. Okay, I was going to ask a follow-up question to that. 
and that's uh, kind of two questions here. First part of this question is, uh, I'm just assuming, and I've heard not everybody does this, but a lot of young people now are using computers as part of their learning developments. And uh, the second part of my question is, uh, is there reading and writing involved in uh, the Indigenous language program? Yeah, so we we have the app Kids Can Use It Anytime. Actually, we have two language apps, one in Ganyakeha Mohawk and one in Kiuga Gayakono. And we do have, like, the urban centers, I've noticed, have been offering Zoom classes in different languages, including our Haudenosaunee languages. And so that's been helpful in those that can't commit to a full immersion program, like as beneficial as Ungawana Gunjoko, the adult Mohawk immersion program that I took was, it's not a reality for many folks. You know, they can invest in not working and focusing only on the language. And so those Zoom courses that offer a language class lesson, you know, once or twice a week for so many weeks is a great way to get started and just to get more of our community speaking um, whatever bit that they can. And so absolutely kids are, are focused on their devices and using it and having these apps and having these Zoom options is helpful for, for many learners. Are they also learning to read and write in the in the indigenous language? Did you ask did you did I ask you that? Oh sorry I didn't answer that question. But yes, yeah, so he's taking he's now in an English school here on reserve, but they do have a Kyuga Gayokono course and so they learn to speak, read and write it. Excellent. Just the final question, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add or share about children learning the Indigenous language in an emergent setting? Anything you want to add to what you said already? Yeah, I think um, as someone who learned to speak fairly proficiently before having children, that really set us ahead of the game. And so I think it would be beneficial if more of the immersion schools provided opportunities for parents to learn either alongside or over Zoom, whatever way that the parent can access, but to ensure, you know, the kids are doing incredible and valuable work in the classroom and in the school learning the language, but ensuring that parents have basic language understanding to support them and their children in their language learning is, is equally important. I think we're that's a bit of a missing piece that I've noticed in a lot of children immersion settings is that there isn't enough opportunities for parents to learn language alongside their children. And, and that would look very different for different families and different schools. But I think that's an opportunity for immersion programs to consider how can they support and engage parents in language learning. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, we certainly appreciate the time you're taking to do this with us. Equity. Oasis from the Land is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca.